welcome to the podcast conversations as you go and as you listen to this podcast in whatever situation you find yourself in i'm sure that you're going to be super blessed today as we have brian menway with us brian i've known about for years uh from uh the 80s and 90s as he was a uniting church pastor in canberra but always a guy on the radical ledge and always a guy who uh caused a bit of a stir often wherever he was up to but a deep passion for lost people and a deep passion that was evidenced in uh working with indigenous and working in many different contexts um that brian has been in i've observed brian from a distance over many years with a sense of admiration but also, um, uh, as uh, in the last number of years, we have drawn a lot closer as we've started to look at disciple-making movements and how that um, works out in his context, but in the Australian Western context. And so Brian is a key voice for us to listen to as a pastor and leader who's actually taking radical steps to uh, buy in. So welcome, Brian, to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's good to be here. It's great. Um, Brian, um, maybe just so people can uh, get to know you a bit, introduce yourself to the people who are listening. Okay, so I've been a pastor in Canberra for 38 years um, and pastoring all up for um, 50 years and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've always had, uh, like Dave said, a heart for uh, reaching lost people and that's been from really day one when I came to Christ. So uh, when I got into the church, uh, I, I somehow didn't get the idea that church wasn't always about reaching lost people. And uh, so over those years, I've always tried to figure out how how to make church about making disciples. So, But I never had any terminology about multiplication or anything like that. So um, 10 years ago, uh, through a Bill Smith uh, training school, I became aware of the T4T uh, um, stuff, Ying Kai and all that kind of thing. And uh, I just began to realize how how profoundly strategic this was, as well as really difficult, as well as challenging, as well as incredibly satisfying, because it sort of put, it put, it's funny because like I've always loved the Bible, right? But mm. it put the Bible in a perspective for me in terms of practical ministry that it's never had before. You know, I, I, I've preached sermons like everybody else and run Bible studies and all those things, but this puts the Scripture in a, in a spot where I've always believed it should be, and I've been really thrilled uh, to see that mm. beginning to take, take a new, uh, to ful- fulfill a new function. So, yeah, mm. I, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I was reflecting just a short time ago, in the book of Acts, um, sometimes it's used and people come to it and they look at it through a church growth paradigm and and try and wrestle out a few concepts. It's quite difficult when you're looking at it through that glasses. But as soon as you put on a movement glasses and how the gospel spreads through disciples spreading, it comes alive. It really makes sense. The manuscript itself changes in our in our hands and becomes a manual and a a focus for us to see multiplying disciples. It's just quite a profound change, I think. Um, just to put that in perspective, my journey as a local church pastor has always been an evangelical journey, charismatic kind of journey, and uh, and now this part of it um, is probably the 
the better end of that because um like i've been i've been connected with some sort of disciple making stuff uh for 10 years now but i would say it's only in the last three or four years that i've actually got some something on the ground that has a chance of you know turning into something that god um might favor and bless and whatever else so you know that's 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 been a long time coming, and I'm not sure whether that's because I'm slow or because the, <laughs> the circumstances are so challenging. But uh, I love this challenge. Mm. It's also the season we're in, isn't it? In Australia, as we see the decline of the church and the right, the desperation for something new to yeah. take place. Um, Brian, just uh, take us back into your journey. How did you come to Christ and and uh, uh, what's some of the key experiences you've had of God that has formed you that um, would be helpful for us? Um, yeah, well, my, my, I had a very unusual conversion because I was chasing a girl, somehow got connected with the church, uh, prayed a prayer in the back of the church one night, didn't expect anything to happen. Uh, you know, then I went home, read the Bible, God visited me in the room, um, you know, so it was pretty radical. And I was a bad boy growing up, so in a small country town, so it was a bit of a shock to everybody, including me. And um, so, uh, and it was only probably about 18 months later that I went to Bible college. And so uh, Nola and I got married in August and went to Bible college in January. So, um, and I didn't really want to pastor a church, I just wanted to win people to Christ. But in those days, the model of the evangelist thing didn't really click with me at all. Um, mm. I, I knew some wonderful evangelists. I've been connected with Dan Armstrong for you know for a long time, and he's a great evangelist and whatever. But it isn't me, and I just couldn't work that that model. And so uh, you know, so all the while I've I've been trying to find ways of uh, of making disciples, preaching the gospel, and. Uh, and that and that's included all like I got one one time when I was in after I was at O'Connor Uniting Church in Canberra for a few years. I don't know whether you remember O'Connor where it was. Uh, I do. David. Yeah. 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 So we had the A-frame chapel, and then we had our offices on the opposite corner. And uh, I got so sick of people wandering into my door, unloading all their self-focused problems and wanting self-focused solutions. And I got I, I literally one afternoon I just said, God, I can't take this anymore. So I walked out the door, walked next door, banged on the person's house and said, hey, listen, you want to, you want me to pray for you about something? And, and I just kept on doing that. I just walked up the street, walking, talking to people, praying for them. When I'd pray, I'd go back and see how the prayer went and all this kind of thing. So this has been my motivation. But um, uh, so, so I haven't had a, a, like a really good um, ecclesiology like the, my, my ecclesiology, my sort of idea of church, hasn't been uh, the one that my colleagues or peers or certainly oversight people always approved of because they didn't really care about a lot of things that they cared about. Hmm. And, um, and so, for example, you know, I, I rebaptized a politician uh, and got into a I was disciplined for six months of doing a terrible thing, and that was the beginning of our our time of leaving the Uniting Church. But I didn't care. I, you know, like I I wasn't like the Uniting Church tribal. Uh, I was always like a Kingdom of God kind of person, and so um, and so my ecclesiology has been very uh, what do you call it um, flexible. Mm. I think. And so when people have said, what church do I belong to? Cheekily now I say, depends which day of the week it is, and I'll tell you which church I belong to. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And um, let's just unpack, you know, you've been involved in ministry and church world for a long time, but you've probably seen over 40 plus years of ministry, uh, the decline of the church and the, the, the shift of the church in, in the place of culture and society. And um, and uh, where we, to where we are today is vastly different to 40 years ago. Um, do you want to just unpack that a little bit for us and and just... just uh, point some things out that you think are some of our challenges, some of our problems as church in general? Yeah, well, uh, Dave, I think that that really is a complex issue, which I don't um, purport to be able to unravel. But Mm. I can just say, like, in my own mind, you know, like I, I hang around with a lot of leaders and a lot of those leaders spend so much time making sure that an hour and a half on Sunday morning is in a cer- you know, certain way with certain excellence and all those other things. They put so much effort into that. They put so much effort into preaching a sermon that nobody, hardly anybody's going to do, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to listen to it because that sort of gives them... It's like it's like having an injection in your arm. Oh, just a little rush of blood, and then you go home, and then you come back for another injection. Uh, mm-hmm. and, so, and so whoever said, I can't remember now, whoever said that, you know, we've, we've made church members sermon-proof and Bible-proof, um, you know, this is this is the way it's been because it's become part of the religion, hasn't become part of the the driving force, mm. and so um, the church church membership has become the main deal, and and discipleship, following Jesus, has become the secondary deal. So I'd say over that time, churches have continued to opt for a model, whether it's an excellence model or a you know just a, a what do you call it? A, a, I always think of it as a like a um, uh, club club manager, you know, you, mm. the church pastor is the club manager, so you keep the members happy, and then they keep on giving, and then you have an income, and then you keep on going, and all that kind of thing. But when crunches come, and when difficulties come, the main the main issue is: Are you going to keep enough people happy to keep your income to keep the church viable? And so, and I can say this literally because there was a time uh, in my journey um, where. Uh, a, a couple of prophetic guys and myself were in a room together, and uh, and they and we we talked about a lot of things, and they said to me, "Do you realise that what's inside of you will um, mean your church is going to reduce in size, in number, and I and are you prepared to to do that uh, in order to achieve something greater?" and and I, I, you know, the, the really sad thing is I have to think about that for more than three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, and I thought about it, and then I said, okay, no, I, I'm, I'm willing to do that. As long as we can produce, uh, you know, I didn't have the terminology then, but uh, disciples, you know, new disciples, because I, I always had that kind of thing in mind. So, so uh, and, and from then on, our church went from, you know, 220 people down to 120. And and it was basically because of the commitment to lost people. Um, mm. I couldn't stop talking about lost people. I kept on, you know, uh, going, reaching lost people myself and mm. focusing yeah. on lost people. Um, and the other funny thing is after in all those years, it wasn't until two years ago that I sat with the leaders of the church that I've just um, handed over uh, and I said, hey, listen, uh, let, just tell me this. If, if you had the choice of just simply making the whole subject, making and multiplying disciples, pl- pl- planting and multiplying churches as a single subject, 
that our leadership is going to be measured by. Are you prepared to be committed to that journey? And they they all said yes. Wow. And like, like that, that is the first time in 40-something years of, of being with leaders where that's happened. And so our recent journey has been on the basis of that. So on the strength of that, all those leaders did the, uh, did a training course for DMM, and and they've all been involved in, um, you know, trying to implement. Now, we all know that implementation is much harder than, you know, just doing the training. So, you know, but, but I can see now that to have a group of leaders who are committed to this, and they're still committed to this, and the new pastor guy is committed to this. So I'm really excited about that because at least they're not going to get sidetracked into other things, and they're not worried about losing people. Mm. And they're not worried about just keeping people happy. They they're much more committed to training people and and helping them implement. So mm. Mm. it's a change. It's a very big change in style. Now I don't know whether that whether that uh, is going to continue. You know, as that we are going to continue to have a, a hybrid church. Now, I think that's the word they use for it these days. You know, like a, a multiplying ministry and still have a Sunday church. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't really care. All I want to do is let's make our decisions because what we solemnly, we we solemnly, before God said, we're going to make all our decisions based on you know, making better and more disciples and multiplying disciples and planting churches. We're going to make it on that criteria. So, you know, time will tell whether what happens. And, and so we don't have to think about that. All we have to do is keep on making our decisions on that basis. Mm, that's fantastic. I, I think what I'm seeing in you is a passion for lostness and a passion to to just um, uh, buy into that. And as we study the scriptures, as we study the teachings of Jesus, we just see this incredible chapters of the Bible being addressing pharisaical behavior, behave, barriers for people and a passion for lostness. One only has to look at Luke 14 and Luke 15 uh, to, to really see that. And I see that that kind of soil in the heart needs to be in, in the heart of every leader to shift us to movement and to shift us to radical, uh, Lord, I'm willing to lay it all down and do whatever it takes. There's also a, another area which I, I wonder if I can just draw out of you too because you're involved in the swirl of the charismatic renewal as well. And, and um, the, um, the role of the Holy Spirit and prayer in movements is, is crucial, is fundamental. Uh, many people hear about movements and they look at, look at it as a program and a method and if I can just press these buttons, I'll, I'll get movement rather than the interaction of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. If you look at the book of Acts, it could be called the book of the Holy Spirit, you know, the works of the Holy Spirit, the Acts is the Spirit. Uh, draw out for us a bit the role of the Holy Spirit as you see it in our need for the Spirit today and what what is what is our need as leaders to be obeying and following the Spirit? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, mm. you know, if I can just uh, go back to the time of the charismatic renewal, you, you probably are aware that the charismatic renewal was, was quite different in character to most uh, uh, former movements um, in the sense that it, it didn't produce uh, just a, um, you know, a, a immediately uh, a separation of people. All of us who were in mainline churches, we all thought our denominations were going to get renewed by the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, it was a wonderful time, honestly. It was a wonderful time and we... And, but but here's, here's a really amazing thing. The charismatic renewal was, was not carried by a name or a program. 
It wasn't located in a single congregation or in a single bunch of leaders. It was actually in somebody's lounge room where somebody who'd experienced something uh, prayed for somebody who hadn't, and they got something from heaven. Now, this this was the modus of that of that deal, and it didn't have re, it didn't re, require you know churches to sign on a dotted line or commit their programs or anything like that. It just happened regardless, and and so uh, I love that part of it, and I and I think. In terms of laying the foundation for what's happening now, I think it was laying a kingdom of God foundation. That is, it wasn't, it wasn't like the monopoly of some particular part of the church. It was in every part of the church. And so when we got uh, some understanding of Holy Spirit power, um, then, you know, uh, that, that was uh, both amazing, but it was also, it gave some sort of indication about the fact that Yes, we do really need the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is an identifiable experience in our lives, etc., etc. And we do need to learn to partner with the Holy Spirit and and have the Holy Spirit speak to us and do the heavy lifting and all those other things. And this is and this covers the word prayer. It covers every part of this operation. So, uh, and I'll just include this, uh, Dave, because when the Toronto thing happened, uh, I was I was quite uh, upset about the Toronto thing. I realised that you know later that it was a, so God was do, using it. But um, when I first when I first heard somebody writing a, a report about what was happening in Toronto, people were falling down and rolling around, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I and I and, and I it was a, a English lady, a leader whose name I can't remember, probably just as well, um, because um, she said, you know, I think what God is doing is He's bringing refreshing to the church, bringing refreshing, refreshing to the church. Well, I was in my in my office in our administrative area. And I just heard that. I banged the desk really hard. I hurt my hands. I got down on the floor and I said, oh, no, God, please not another self-focused, self-interested, self-absorbed bunch of experiences that are not going to touch and influence lost people. And I was weeping and weeping. And my, my, in those days, I had a a personal assistant lady and she came in, something was wrong with me. And, um, and she said, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely, totally not all right. And so this was, now I don't want to say that that's the only comment to be made about Toronto, but I'm just saying that, you know, very, very often we, we camp around an experience when what we're being given is a tool. Hmm. And, and we make thing, we make badges out of things and they're actually tools. You know, so God is giving us tools. And one of the things that I love about, you know, the charismatic renewal and all that kind of stuff, it gave us tools, and we need those tools, every one of them. And one of the things I love about the disciple-making movement is the fact that, you know, we are learning from the people that we 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 mission we we did mission to these places where these things are happening, and now they are missionaries to us. Because we need these missionaries, and you know, fifteen years now, I've said I'm not going to look to America or England anymore for for um, uh, for my in- insights and stuff like that. Because I realised the Chinese churches had revival for sixty years, and so many things have been happening in other places, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I deliberately went seeking people who were part of those renewal things, and I came across people uh, in the Central Asia and so forth who were. Um, uh, you know, disciple multiplying people, and um, and I just said, please teach me. Oh, I want to learn, and that was before I came across Bill Smith and all the others. So it was really quite 
profound. And so I love the fact that this this it wasn't developed in some large church campus in Los Angeles. And I'm I'm not you know I know that's going to sound a bit bad. You might have to cut that out. But you know because um, uh, uh, a lot of you know, amazing things have happened in Los Angeles. But I'm just saying that this this happened in somebody's grass hut. You know somewhere in. India or whatever else under a tree somewhere, and it and it produced and that and that figure that that uh, what's his name gives about the great evangelical recession, and he says you know one point five million dollars for a believer to become a believer in the U.S. and sixty six cents in North India. That's my that's part of my goal. That's become part of my little secret thing. I'm wanting to reduce the cost of new believers. Yeah. Yeah, so so profound. That's a great reflection on the um, the idea of um, uh, the charismatic renewal being found in the land room and not not cornered or owned by one particular leader or or one particular. It was a move of God, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and, it was. And, and um, without a doubt, um, that's uh, that's uh, when I encountered Jesus. I came into uh, that movement. Um, uh, through a small house church that had jumped out of um, um, the the movements, uh, the traditional denominations, uh, so definitely it was it was profound in its influence and um, set us apart. But I, I do also like your reflection about the idea that you know we we tend to camp around experience rather than. Uh, being commissioned into the harvest, um, which is what we see as some of the weakness of that. Jesus gave us a commission, and the Spirit's work is to commission us into the harvest with the Great Commission, but also with his power. And our tendency is to camp, not go, um, and, and to to enjoy the fire and not, not go out into the cold. So that's... <laughs> that's um, Mm. That's a great reflection. Um, yeah, so um, from from that uh, and then today to jumping into movement sphere, um, what what are some of the key uh, lessons that you're learning uh, as as you look at both the local church and and your own life uh, that helps people make that shift into movement? Mm. Yeah, well, I, well, I think um, to me. The key, the, there are key issues that you can't, uh, like, well, there's always a pressure to compromise, right? And the compromise doesn't come because we want to jump into bed with somebody's secretary. We, the compromise comes mainly because we want to stay friends with people who are not on the journey, you know, so that's a, that's been a big compromise. And so we've made church more comfortable and then more comfortable. You know, so now, you know, the committed people in the church, according to surveys, 1.6 times a month they go to church, you know. So um, this is pathetic. Uh, you know, just imagine that. And I'm not. it's not about how many times you go to church. It's about what it reflects in terms of commitment to Christ. And so um, so when, when the disciple-making thing uh, when when we start to implement this, we find a number of things are supreme challenges, and they are challenges that need us to be on our knees, crying out to God, not just to be able to do them, but to help others to do them as well. Because this is about modelling, so you can't fudge. You know, whatever you model is going to be um, is going to be picked up by people that you're hanging around with. So so you've got to have your own stories. We've lived off other people's stories forever. Um, so you've got to have your own stories. You've got to be doing it. And I think that's 
Of course, pastors I know, on the whole, a lot of pastors, they want everybody to evangelize, but they don't want to evangelize. They, they want other people to affect lost people. They say, we'll put on this show in a room and you bring the people in and they'll come to Christ. Um, so so the, here are the things that challenge me. The first one is, when you ask those four questions about what does it say, what does it mean, what do I do and who do I tell, the what do I do and who do I tell are just absolutely essential. In fact, we have found ourselves just talking about that more than any other thing. And we've gone, and we've got, and we don't worry too much if we don't get the very last bit of revelation. We get some revelation and then we go straight to what do we do? The only reason we do that is because we find that that way, if we, what do you might, you might call that um, positive discrimination. We discriminate in favor of the what will we do uh, as an unashamed, you know, commitment because this is the thing we do badly. And who do I tell? Well, once again, so what do I do and who do I tell? That becomes a really big subject for us. And and most of the people who are committed in our place to making disciples have picked this up and we're, you know, we do it with each other. We, you know, and it's a, it's a bit like the Shema thing, you know, do it when you're walking along, when you're with your family, da, 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 talk about it. So when we get together, we say, how are you going with your I wills and your who, who to share with, you know, and people share stories like that because this, we want to become excellent in this. And if we don't, we know that it'll just become another program like every other program that doesn't go anywhere, you know. Um, um, and, I, and I think... The other thing is that what we've learned is we, we need to measure our success through the, not, not the person we are with, but the, the person who they're going to be with. So we measure every success by the second generation, not by the first generation. So it's no longer what kind of a meeting did you have, what kind of a training time did you have. The, the thing is, and this is not new, this has you know, been around, but, you know, so, so we, we, we asked the question and, you know, who did you talk to? Who are you praying for? Who's out there, you know, in the possible area of, you know, connections and so forth? And we focus on that. And this is a bit, this is a bit challenging for a lot of people. I mean, we've had quite a, we've had a few bun fights over this uh, with some people um, and not, not mostly nice ones and all that, but, but, but we feel if we go soft on this, we'll lose it, you know. So, um, um, and I think the other thing is gearing our prayer, our praying to specific tasks that we're facing. So we we pray about specific things. We don't just pray general prayers anymore. We just pray about Joe and Susan and you know um, and Joe reading the Bible this week and and Susan, you know, getting healed from a disease. You know, whatever it is, we pray for all that. And how did it go? And we and we track those things prayerfully. So our prayer uh, operation is tracking those things, so that we, so that everybody who's engaged in the prayer thing has some idea of where we're at. So are we further on the track, or are we still you know, where we were? So the extraordinary for us has taken on the idea of are we further on the track, or are we still battling a wall or a ditch somewhere that we're. Because we find we find there are uh, you know like there are places impasses where we just got to break through and and we've had one or two uh, breakthroughs um, in that area so we know we know we've got much better idea now what an impasse feels like and so we don't get discouraged by an impasse now we just simply know to go to prayer get whatever wisdom God might give to us change whatever needs to be changed become you know whatever it is we need to become and then go back and have another go and so 
um, I think I might have mentioned this the other day when we were together, but, you know, it's this sword and the harp and the sword thing for me. Uh, like David, when he put down his sword, he took up his harp and he brought the battle into the harp, into the worship space. Everything that was in the battle space was things he talked about, the people he hated, the people he wanted to be childless, you know, all these other things, they were all in there. And then when he put down the harp, he picked up the sword with all the things that um, he got when he was playing the harp, you know, so. Yeah. So for those that are listening, uh, Brian was referring to the Discovery Bible Study there and, uh, yeah. you know, the um, the process of uh, how you actually um, go through uh, those seven questions and um, yeah. uh, from ha- what's been good, what's been a challenge, who can we help, to then the, bi- the questions around the word. But really landing those two questions, which I totally agree with, um, Brian, with you, the the two fundamental aspects are the transformational obedience that happens, and and without that obedience, and tr- uh, we won't get transformation. And that's the difference between just preaching sermons and sermons and sermons, and without obedience, or there, there's actually no change. Uh, change is uncomfortable. Change is um, is difficult, but change that's based on the Word of God is actually transformational, and it's coupled with you know Jesus said, "If you obey me, I'll ask the Father in John, and He will give you the Spirit." And mm-hmm. and so obedience uh, is coupled with the work of the Spirit and brings absolute transformation, and that's the the core, the essence of discipleship. But the second thing you pointed to was the the, the it's essential, essential um, ingredient of mission. Uh, who do I tell? Who who do I go out and um, and tell? So um, this idea of um, mission being the core of what we do is really vital there as well. And so those those two questions: What do I do? Is a transformation. Who do I tell? Brian, what do you think, uh, as you're moving forward into this space, some of the big mountains in front, what are the challenges? What are the things that we're trying to work out uh, in our context? What's some of the things we're grappling with that we really, uh, okay, we we understand we've got to move into discipleship, obedience-oriented discipleship, mission, everybody empowered to share. What's some of our challenges moving forward? Hmm. Uh, okay, so as far as I can tell, the, uh, one of the challenges is that this will become like a the, the latest and greatest deal. This is the fashion now. DMM is the fashion, and now we measure everybody by their commitment to DMM and so forth. You know, like like we've done all through church history. Are you us or are you them? Uh, and I I just hope that you know the people who are committed to, to disciple multiplying will just go do it and not get involved in, involved in too many discussions with people about, you know, uh, because I, I feel this because I'm, I, I'm involved in a network of churches, 130 or 40, uh, where uh, some of those churches have been involved in this disciple-making and some of them now are taking a really strong identity uh, from DMM, which just worries me a little because it's almost like they're badged now, you know, and so whenever, as I said, whenever it becomes a badge, it loses its value as a tool. Um, uh, the second thing is that people will think this is a playoff between Sunday morning and some other time of the week, and I think that's a really bad comparison to make. Um, let's not talk about Sunday morning. Let's just talk about doing this. And you don't need to do anything to Sunday morning 
you just need to go out and do this. So, you know, um, I go I go to church on Sunday morning um, and it doesn't stop me in any way from um, hanging around with lost people and, and seeing groups start and all those other things. So we just need to go and start doing this and whatever the – I know they call them legacy churches now. Um, uh, I'm not sure whether that's a good idea. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I understand what, what they're saying. Um, but – but I do think there is an issue about, like I know there's a term out now, I've been out for a while, about great commission churches, great commission churches. Now, you know, it's really a sad comment to me that we've got a distinction called great commission churches. That's a bad comment on the church. Um, and so I really do have a concern about the lack of commitment and love for lost people and the lack of interest. And that's... That, that's my own mob uh, as much as anybody else's, you know. People have got all these excuses. I don't have the gift. You know, p- people say that I'm an evangelist. If I was an evangelist, mate, the world would be even worse off than it is. I'm a really bad evangelist. And um, uh, and I've, I've always, oh, I, I wish I was an evangelist. I've tried to be an evangelist, but I'm not. I'm just an, somebody trying to be obedient to Jesus, you know. So, and, and, I, and I love Jesus. I love what Jesus loves. And that's, and that's how it happened. I happened to fall in love with Jesus and I realized what he began to love. So I think that's the same thing as, you know, um, as here. So uh, somehow that challenge has to be continued to be issued. And so the way that we're doing it at our own church is we're continuing to offer training to people so that in the training, people will get the idea of what, you know, what this is about and what makes it work and so forth. So we'll keep on doing that. Um, but I think there is going to be a, uh, a, you know, a dividing of churches. I think the other thing I think is that people, pastors I know, are really, um, uh, what's the word for it? They're really, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just put it in the way that one pastor put it to me. He said he became really worried that we would lose what we've got and not gain what we're after. Mm. So, and he has a great church in South Australia, a great little church, and they're really lovely people and they care for poor people and they do all kinds of wonderful things. Um, but he, it all is built around their central operation, you know. It all happens out of that. And so uh, I keep on telling him that, you know, uh, that when it's built around that, it's not flexible enough. And COVID, and COVID has proved this. Because COVID has thrown out a challenge to the church and says, do you really have a discipleship um, model that is flexible enough to not be, to be COVID-proof? And our churches have not provided a COVID-proof form of Christianity. They haven't done it. And so historically, historically the church has been the most flexible. It can work anywhere any time with any group of people under any conditions in any culture and any language and that's where it, and and sadly it hasn't always been offered like that but when it is we find that you know uh, it has and and that's what I love about um Dave Watson and the other people uh you know uh, they they bring uh they're outside to in people and they lead some people to Christ and then from then on it's actually indigenous mm. or, or um, um, people who are indigenous to the, um, the sphere. So I think, um, you know, that, that's going to be, that's going to be an issue and, and it's going to take a long time for a lot of churches to realize that the church model we've got 
while it can survive, it can't complete the task. It can't finish the job. So that's that's what we've got to come to realise. And I reckon that Evangelical Recession book probably is the best one I know, maybe you know of others, uh, Evan, The Great Evangelical Recession. And it spells out how evangelicalism in America is in a very poor state uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. And... Um, and but they're talking it up still, and there's still enough large churches and and all that kind of stuff to to make it look like things are okay. But it, it isn't. It is not okay. And I mean that's why that's why in Western nations, you know, we have this crisis. It is a crisis, a spiritual crisis, and the church isn't up to it at mm. the moment. That's that's really great outlining some of those. Um challenges and really agree with you on the idea that you know just locking into a method and being an identity around a method will not do it um and um also the competition between sunday morning and making disciples is is a actually it's a false um competition there is only one task that is to make disciples but also there's uh, also this great challenge that what you just alluded to is um, if I do this, will I lose this? And yeah, it's exactly yeah, what the, what Jesus actually put up in front of us time and time again of saying you find a great pearl or a great treasure in a, in a field and you are willing to give up everything and sell everything for this. And that great pearl is discipleship and making Jesus the core and Jesus the center, not a method, not an identity, and so good. And that, that parable was the uh, the word that we took when we decided to go after disciples and not just church. Um, it was that parable we said we we're willing to sell up everything we've got in order to get what we've never wow. had. Wow, wow, some some profound lines. Just as we come to the end of the podcast, Brian, I'm really thankful for those that are listening. Um, you might not be aware, but Brian is actually doing this while he's got COVID, and um, he, he's uh, he's sitting there uh, uh, in another room. Obviously, we're in different uh, cities, but he's uh, he's agreed to jump into this space. I know he's uh, he's a man who's uh, just really given over to the task. And um, Brian, just a, a word of encouragement, a prayer, a finishing statement and that, that comes from you as you now bypass me and speak directly to the practitioner who's, yeah. who's listening to this. Yeah. Uh, Father, we want to first of all say, you know, we love this plan. We love the idea that you've made it possible for us to become part of a family, a human family known by its connection to the Heavenly Father. And, uh, you know, we want to thank you for what you did in Jesus. And I want to pray for everybody right now, wherever they are, wherever you are, I want to pray in Jesus' name that the sense of being a son or daughter of your Heavenly Father will become strong and constant. That the sense of belonging to the family of God will be strong and constant. And the sense of being committed to the family business, the business of reaching, making disciples who make disciples that this would be strong and consistent and it, would, and, it would, and it would continue beyond the difficulties and beyond the discouragements. It would continue because of the promise of heaven and the blessing of God. 
And may that blessing and promise be upon everything that you do. In Jesus' name.